Welcome to Series 2 of the Saltwater Strategist, the podcast that delves into the complex world of maritime security in the Indo-Pacific region. I'm your host, Jen Parker. As the world becomes increasingly dependent on maritime trade, it's critical that we understand the challenges and opportunities in this competitive environment. Our well-respected guests, strategists, academics and international relations and maritime professionals from across the region provide insightful and considered discussion on the most pressing maritime issues in the Indo-Pacific. The Saltwater Strategist is a product of the Australian Naval Institute, a non-profit self-supporting organisation that encourages the promotion and advancement of knowledge related to the maritime profession. This episode of the Saltwater Strategist is also proudly brought to you by BAE Systems Australia. We want to have a better understanding and use our manned assets much more efficiently. And we see that getting cued information from robots and then synthesizing that information through artificial intelligence is really the way forward to maximizing our ability out here. Because crude, uncrewed teaming is not the future, it's the now. Today, we are pleased to have Commodore Colin Corridan, U.S. Navy, with us to talk about Task Force 59 the first operational U.S. Navy task force to integrate uncrewed surface vessels. Commodore Corridan is a distinguished naval officer. He graduated from the Massachusetts Maritime Academy in 1999 with a Marine Transportation degree and holds a U.S. Coast Guard third mate's license. Additionally, he has earned a Master of Arts in Human Relations for the University of Oklahoma and a Master of Arts in National Security and Strategic Studies for the Naval War College. At sea, Commodore Corridan served in various key roles, including as the Combat Information Centre Officer, Training Officer and Engineering Officer on various classes of vessels. He also significantly commanded USS Fort Worth and USS Manchester, both littoral combat ships within the US Navy. Ashore, he served in Baghdad in the US Force Iraq Staff and held important positions at the Surface Warfare Officers School and commanded littoral combat ship Squadron 1. Currently, though, Commodore Corridan is bringing all that experience to bear as he commands Task Force 59 in the US 5th Fleet, based in Bahrain in the Middle East, leading the way in uncrewed surface vessel operations. Colin, it's wonderful to have you here today on the Saltwater Strategist to talk about the evolutionary Task Force 59. Jen, great to be here. Can't thank you enough for inviting me. I'm really excited about sharing what Task Force 59 is doing and chatting with you about uh, the future of robotics and crude uncrewed teaming in the maritime environment. I've had the pleasure to work with you briefly in Bahrain, so so I have a little bit of familiarity with Task Force 59. Can you please explain how Task Force 59 came about and what it is? The old adage, necessity being the mother of invention. You know, manned assets are valuable, valuable resource, and we have to be much more efficient with the, our employment of them. So, you know, knowing that on crude, uh, crude teaming is the future and the present, uh, if you will, we really wanted to capitalize on that to really enhance our capabilities out here in Fifth Fleet. And doing that, building maritime domain awareness is really our number one goal. We use a COCO model to do that, a contractor-owned, contractor-operated model, uh, because it keeps us agile and moving quickly. It allows us the ability to move very quickly in the space and get commercial dual-use technology out into the hands of operators quickly. So that's really our bread and butter, is to kind of target the capability enhancement from another angle. There's plenty of 
great mature technology that exists now in the commercial industry that we really, you know, would be crazy not to get our hands on. There's been enhancements in environmental surveying, weather monitoring, oil and gas infrastructure defense, and these products exist. What we do at Task Force 59 is we identify the capability we want to enhance, and then we do a tech scan of industry, find out what exists already, and we get our hands on it quickly, bring it out to the theater, and then burn it in. In this environment where it's a very challenging environment out here in, in the Arabian Gulf, you know, there's this level of contested waters. The natural environment is very challenging to work in. So we bring the different technologies out here. We iterate alongside with the operators who will actually be using them. And that's a big difference, you know, between us and any other procurement organization is we're actually testing alongside the operators that will use the kit. And then we iterate on that. And if the company and the industry partner is not giving us what we need, we allow them the time to iterate and deliver a product that meets our needs, or we move on to the next product. And that we found that that has been a great way to stay quick and agile and get ready, relevant technology in the hands of operators quickly. Thanks, Colin. That's really fascinating about how Tussle 59 has managed to integrate new capabilities to the fleet very quickly. Would you mind talking to us a little bit about how long Task Force 59 has been resident in the Fifth Fleet and what kind of capabilities it operates? Actually, uh, funny that you mentioned it, the 9th of September was our two-year birthday. So we're two years old, so we're still a, a young organization changing and evolving as required by our mission set. But we've been operating out of Bahrain for two years, and part of our model includes a, a sequence of using persistent ISR craft, USBs, that can stay on the water and be eyes and ears. And these craft will be sending back information, things they're seeing, they're, they're, they're cheap, uh, treatable craft that can stay out on the water for long periods of time and are just looking and listening. There are eyes and ears on the water. And they send information back to the Robotics Operations Center where we can interpret that information. And then, you know, we also have in our bullpen of uh, robotics, we have craft what we refer to as interceptors, fast moving craft, that if we see something that we think deserves a, a closer look, we can send out some interceptor crafts to go take to take a closer look. We're working with companies that have former racing boats and exquisite camera systems on them. So they're very, very high capability uh, craft we can send out to take a closer look. In fact, we just recently did the first USV transit of the Straits of Hormuz with one of these craft, which we got some great full motion video and great pictures uh, as we were going through. It really was a milestone for us uh, as we operationalized this model out here in Fifth Fleet. Yeah, I saw the photos of the transit. Uh, it looked absolutely fascinating. So operating there in the Arabian Gulf, what kind of mission sets are these vessels doing and what other countries or task force are they working with? Our main focus, like I said previously, is building maritime domain awareness. Having more eyes on the water benefits all of us, creating a better understanding of our complex maritime environment. And we're putting robots out on the water and we're encouraging partner countries to do the same. One of the great aspects of being involved in the commercial space is that it's very easy to share data with partner countries. So it really helps 
our regional partners out here, really helps to share information with them when it's uh, when it's all unclassified and uh, on a commercial basis. So we've been encouraging our regional partners to contribute to our uncrewed fleet because we believe that, you know, the more eyes we have out there, the better we all are. And, you know, the more we can share with our partners. Now we have this collective group out here who has a better understanding of this complex maritime environment. So most of our regional partners uh, have a lot of interest in participating with us uh, in this, you know, first ever hybrid fleet. Uh, And we also have partners from around the world joining Task Force 59 as well uh, to contribute and learn from what we're doing. You mentioned about the, the several number of assets on the water and how that assists in the enhancing the capability. You know, I've heard um, Vice Admiral Brad Cooper, the commander of Fifth Fleet, there talk about this concept of a hundred uncrewed surface vessels. Can you talk about the objectives and the implications of that goal and, and what that means for the operations in the Arabian Gulf? The Arabian Gulf is a very complex environment. There's a lot of illicit trafficking that takes place, a lot of nefarious activity. We want to have a better understanding and use our manned assets much more efficiently. We have exquisite systems that we want to make sure that we're using uh, as efficiently as possible. And we see that getting cued information from uh, robots and then synthesizing that information through artificial intelligence is really the way forward to maximizing our ability out here. Because we and our regional partners understand that crude, uncrewed teaming is not the future, it's the now. And we're really learning how to do that now here in this environment. So creating this this 100 USV fleet with partners is just you know our step in the right direction of, of creating this world's first hybrid fleet. And like I said, more sensors, the more understanding, the better, more capable partners were able to counter that malign activity that's taking place at sea. And the implications of this are, are huge, you know, as we network the systems, share the data and create this digital ocean of systems. On the topic of the digital ocean of systems, I was lucky enough to um, see a demonstration during your exercise Digital Horizon, which was a, a huge uncrewed surface vessel exercise that Task Force 59 uh, undertook late last year. And I remember somebody talking about this concept of the mesh network, which was demonstrated during that exercise. Would you mind talking about the mesh network for our listeners and, and talking about how that enhances maritime domain awareness? Yeah, sure, Jen. That's a great part of what we're experimenting with out here and then you know, actually operationalizing. We're, we're all very concerned with how we're going to communicate in a comms denied environment. And a self-healing mesh network is something that we're really pushing towards. Uh, this is a microwave point-to-point self-healing network. Each of the assets that we use uh, to include some terrestrial assets will be mounted with these microwave point-to-point radios. Uh, Same technology that you would see at a football game uh, where you have cameras on the field that have antennas on the back that can transmit full motion video in huge bandwidth capacity uh, to do so. So we're using this mesh network to not only command and control the assets that we're employing, but also to pass back the information and data that they're collecting. So it's kind of twofold. And 
We've also incorporated, you know, Starlink and some lower orbit satellite options into our networking capability just to enhance it. But the self-healing network is great because, you know, if one node is removed, the network will seek out and find another route to push the information back. So it's survivable, the security is really good, and it's scalable. There's a lot of other uh, areas of operation around the maritime environment that are interested in this kind of technology as well, because you can really employ it in a number of different ways. It's fascinating to hear how you can operate these craft and get the data back in a you know denied environment, which is certainly the challenge of our times when it comes to naval warfare. Looking at some other concepts that came up during Digital Horizon, uh, I remember Vice Admiral Cooper talking about the concept of a single plane of glass. And in terms of harnessing the capability that uncrewed assets provide in the maritime domain, there's a lot of discussion that it needs to come hand in hand with the use of artificial intelligence. Do you mind delving into the single plane of glass concept uh, and how artificial intelligence plays a role in achieving this? The single pane of glass is, you know, how we bring it all together. You you have all of the, the different feeds from these different robots and companies. And we really want to synthesize all that information down to one single pane of glass. And the end goal is to have one watch stander that can be monitoring the activity of these craft and the information that they're sending back and to make decisions and pass information to the commander to make timely decisions. So if you if you can envision, you know, all these different assets on the water, we want to be able to use the single pane of glass to command and control them. And we also want to use the single pane of glass in conjunction with machine vision and artificial intelligence to synthesize the information and really make it useful to the watchstander so that you don't have to have a number of different watchstanders monitoring each vessel and then interpreting the information coming from that vessel, we'd be using machine vision and artificial intelligence to characterize what the different assets are seeing and pushing back to the robotics operations center to the single pane of glass so that it's really reducing the cognitive burden on that watch standard. And then after these craft and the AI have kind of establishing this normal pattern of life, they can start to highlight what's outside the normal pattern of life. And then alert the watchstander, and the watchstander can then uh, use that to take action and inform the commander. Of course, at the end of this, giving the commander the advantage of time and decision-making space. Do you see this as something that could potentially be accessed on fleet units underway? Like, Can this be expanded beyond the remote operations center? Absolutely. We're looking at different ways to to make sure that we can push this commercial information onto you know watch floors that have higher uh, levels of classification. We're making some pretty incredible strides to do this and, like I said, push this information to make sure that the end user is getting it and it's useful. But also, like I said, a lot of our value here is being able to share this with partners. So uh, having this information and, and these kind of single pane of glass to use in conjunction with our partners is very, very useful. You know, we want to take this, Jen, and, and really move from being a really reactive posture to moving into the predictive space so that we can really kind of get ahead of the adversary. But um, we are working on a number of uh, solutions that will be useful on underway assets, terrestrial assets. The beauty of mastering the data is that you can, you know, use it uh, however you see fit, share it with who you want to share it with, move it to classified, unclassified spaces and uh, really take advantage of the power of data. 
I know that the Secretary of the U.S. Navy, Carlos Del Toro, mentioned recently about transferring the experiences that Task Force 59 has had of integrating uncrewed surface vessels into an operational theatre and taking those experiences to the rest of the fleet. How do you envision these innovations benefiting other naval operations? And are you seeing this manifest in other elements of the U.S. Navy? Yeah, Jen, you know, what we're learning out here is scalable and transferable to a lot of other AORs. In fact, the uh, the Chief of Naval Operations ordered a stand-up of a 5-9-like organization in the U.S. 4th Fleet in the Caribbean, because if you can imagine, they have a very similar problem set to what we have out here around the Arabian Peninsula. They have a vast area to cover. They don't have a lot of manned assets to do it, and they've got a lot of illicit trafficking happening down there. So having our model of eyes and ears on the water to feedback information and have a better understanding of the maritime domain is really, really scalable and transferable. You know, and we're learning a ton out here. One of the things that really makes us kind of special at the fleet level, you're really not always given the uh, opportunity to you know, iterate and fail and learn and get better. So we're learning a lot of lessons in an operational environment. And that's really, really important to share with other operational environments, whether that's in Southeast Asia, in the European theater, or in the Caribbean. We're learning a lot of really valuable lessons, and we're sharing that with our partners in those different areas, uh, particularly with mesh networks and employing artificial intelligence and the different industry partners that we've been working with and the capabilities that they bring. Each area of operation has unique characteristics, and some of these robots are better fit than others. And we're learning that and we're sharing it as we learn. And talking about uh, the learning and the, the unique characteristics, I was fascinated last year when I was in Bahrain and there were two unfortunate incidents of the uh, Iranian Navy interfering with two of Task Force 59's assets. But one of the things that struck me is that the commercial nature of these assets mean that there's actually nothing classified on these vehicles. So there's really nothing that you can gain by interfering with them. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And it's another part of our value proposition is that, you know, what we're dealing with are tradable systems and there's nothing classified on board the systems that we use. They're, they're merely passing information through. Um, now, of course, you know, we can't let any nefarious actors do anything illegal, but if we're talking about having anything sensitive on board, there isn't. And, you know, we have to kind of pivot our mindset to this uh, idea that we're going to be using lots more attributable systems and we have to be able to accept in the business model some level of loss, which is can be really valuable and can allow us, again, some more agility and to be able to move very quickly. And it's affordable. You know, if you compared it relatively to some of the exquisite uh, weapon systems that we employ, this is uh, kind of pennies on the dollar. And you, we work with the companies, the companies will build in to their models, some level of loss, and it really does make it user-friendly. So the Chief of Naval Operations, or previous U.S. Chief of Naval Operations, Admiral Mike Gilday, you mentioned last year the concept of trying to deploy some of these systems that you are using in the Fifth Fleet uh, with a carrier strike group by 2027 and integrate them into that strike group. Can you discuss some of the challenges but also advantages of integrating these capabilities into that degree of naval operations? Jen, we are, we're really focused on smaller, more attributable craft out here in Task Force 59. You know, I think what the CNO was alluding to was, you know, 
USVs writ large, but also you know uh, larger USVs outside of the commercial market. Some of the more exquisite systems that we're developing uh, within the Navy. Clearly, you know, there's ongoing work in the Navy with larger USVs and their utility. But obviously, there would be an enormous, enormous utility for a carrier strike group to have a USB force package that could do ISR, USBs with kinetic payloads. You know, your imagination is your only limit there as far as how that could be integrated. And, you know, out here in Fifth Fleet, while we're not really focused on integrating uh, necessarily uh, on a large scale with a strike group, we're playing with ideas like creating motherships out of different platforms that we have available out here to command and control and to launch and recover and do all kinds of operations with our USX fleet out here. I think the mothership concept is quite interesting and and just kind of calling upon your experience, you know, having commanded multiple littoral combat ships. Do you see this as something in the future that could expand the horizon providing ISI capability to some of those ships by deploying uh, USVs, you know, maybe even the interceptors you've talked about operating the Gulf? to an LCS or an LCS-like ship? Yeah, you know, I think LCS is a perfect platform to uh, explore more use of of USBs. You know, LCS is designed to be a plug-and-play platform where to accept new technology as it comes out. And, you know, with the rapid pace at which we move out here at 59, as we seek out new technologies and bring them out here quickly, I think LCS is the perfect platform to uh, launch some of the mothership ideas out. We actually have LCS coming into theater and would like to partner. And we have plans to use the LCS in a potential mothership employment. You know, crude, uncrewed systems, the idea is not going away. It's the future. And if you could just imagine all of the possibilities that we could do if we have a great uh, C-frame that's built to be capable of uh, ingesting new systems and command and controlling them from their operations centers. So I think LCS would be a great platform. And I think, you know, like I said, crude, uncrewed autonomous systems are the now and they're not going away. No, you're absolutely right. And we're seeing that demonstrated around the globe at the moment, particularly uh, in Ukraine, a different type of capability, but we're certainly seeing the evolution of uncrewed systems. That is uh, very interesting to us. And we're really trying to learn lessons from how they're employing their systems and how we can relate to that out here in Fifth Fleet. Talking about the integration of crewed and uncrewed systems and, and some of the things you're looking at for Task Force 59, what do you see as your key objectives over the next 12 months? You know, distributing sensors, you know, to build the maritime domain awareness is, like I said, are really our foundation. We're interested in, you know, computing at the edge, making the robots a little smarter. We're very interested in operating in a GPS denied environment. We understand, you know, when things get kinetic, that that will be a big concern to be able to continue to communicate and to be able to navigate in a GPS denied environment. So we're looking at some solutions uh, there. We're also looking at improving our ability to communicate, improving the mesh network, improving uh, the flow of information. And that kind of goes hand in hand with computing at the edge, making the robot smarter, making sure what they're passing over the net is vital information rather than just, you know, looking at, you know, wave tops. We are a kind of a phase zero operation and building maritime domain awareness, but we're looking at the possibilities of kinetics and also, you know, deception techniques that would, could be employed by these different robot systems. There's a lot of opportunity to explore out here. 
And uh, we're really trying to take advantage of the momentum that we've got and the interest with our partners to really kind of stretch, you know, the the leeway that we've been given to really kind of experiment and learn. Um, we're really excited about pushing all the boundaries and pushing all the limits and being bold and and, and finding out uh, exactly what we can do with this kit and then sharing that information with our partners. I call this it's incredibly interesting. I think um, the the concept of using some of these smaller vessels for deception across the spectrum uh, of sensors is absolutely fascinating and, and and certainly the future. One of the things that I found really interesting working with Task Force Fifty Nine is how you manage to generate such a, an innovative lateral thinking culture in a military task force. So here in Australia, we've just created our Advanced Strategic Capabilities Accelerator. And one of the criticisms of it is that it's within the Department of Defense. And the criticisms often come from the view that military organizations struggle to be innovative. How have you created that team culture in Task Force 59 that allows you to do these things? I'll tell you, Jen, I have to give a lot of credit to my predecessor, Michael Brasser. Uh, He really worked hard to make sure that this was a flat organization that valued innovation. Rank had nothing to do with innovation. And that culture that he created here, valuing everyone's input and then recruiting a lot of really good talent from inside and outside of the Navy, combined with our leadership uh, from Vice Admiral Cooper, and uh, General Carilla at CENTCOM to really put a stress on innovation to solve problems and allowing us the space where we can uh, learn and iterate and get better uh, is something that is unusual at the fleet level. So having the support of leadership to be able to encourage the culture of innovation has been huge and really given us the freedom to act. And the foundation that my predecessor, Michael Brasser, has built here has really allowed us, you know, to take all the innovation and experimentation and then leap into the operations side of it and really to operationalize some of the uh, incredible tech that we've been able to hone since we've been out here. We also have a really incredible team. You know, Michael did a lot of recruiting to make sure that we had a a wide breadth, a diverse breadth of talent out here, Uh, everything from reservists who had incredible tech backgrounds to the permanent military members that have understanding of how to operate in the Middle East where we are now. We're about half international partners now. Our complement is about half international partners. We did notice, Jen, that we don't have an Australian on the staff, so I'm going to plug that. We just got New Zealand, uh, but maybe now's the time for Australia to join the team. But we have a really, really diverse team that is encouraged to come with their ideas. It may seem contrary at times to different organizations uh, within the military, but we have junior enlisted sailors who will lead complex evolutions away from home base where they're leading a group of industry partners and executing uh, an event with a regional partner country. Uh, And we're really empowering our junior people to get after it and really use their knowledge of the environment and of the tech space to really feel excited about the mission. And we really kind of treat this as a family here as well. And, uh, and at the end of the day, we do do a lot of barbecuing. So I think one of the big things for me, Jen, and, and you know, a lot of times I get asked, you know, why are you, uh, you know, a surface warfare officer in charge of 
this innovation task force? Are you an engineer? Are you, you know, what's your background? And the fact is that I just came from commanding at sea for the last four years. And I understand the capabilities that we have and the things that we need to enhance. And it's important to stay focused on those things. We don't need another organization creating solutions to problems that don't exist. We want to stay hyper-focused on what the fleet actually needs and get it in their hands quickly. And that's where I think a lot of the team really sees value and they get excited about the mission because we're, we're no kidding getting after technology that can really change the game for a lot of sailors out there who are trying to keep the maritime environment safe. And we're really working hard to get them the tools to do that. Um, I'm really excited. I've kind of told folks that I feel like I'm taking the startup from the garage to the warehouse as we start to operationalize and add some processes and some rigor. But it's really been exciting to take uh, what Michael Brasser created and Admiral Cooper created and build on it and operationalize it. I'm feeling pretty lucky and I, I don't think I could think of a better job in the Navy right now than the one I'm doing. And it's very exciting. Commodore Colin Corridor, thank you so much for joining us here at the Saltwater Strategist and talking about Task Force 59 and the integration of crewed and uncrewed surface vessels in the Middle East. Great to catch up with you again, albeit on the other side of the world. Jen, thanks so much for having me on. It was a real pleasure chatting with you. Our guest today was Commodore Colin Corridor, Commander of Task Force 59 based in the Middle East. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating, reviewing, and following Saltwater Strategist wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more on the Australian Naval Institute website, navalinstitute.com.au. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or sign up to our weekly newsletter via our website. If you're interested in general maritime affairs, why not consider joining the Australian Naval Institute to get special access to timely content and events relating to maritime affairs. Tickets are now available for the Australian Naval Institute's upcoming Goldrick Seminar on the 19th of October in Canberra on the topic, The Influence of Sea Power on Australia's Future, and you can get the tickets via our website. A big thank you to our sponsor, BA Systems Australia, whose support is vital to bringing you these timely, important discussions on maritime security. I'm Jen Parker. Thanks for listening.